trust is the glue of life. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It is the foundational principle that holds all relationships. Stephen R. Covey. Bending, Not Breaking, Episode 1, The Boy in the Iceberg. Welcome everyone to Bending, Not Breaking, the very first episode of our Avatar podcast right here on the Arc of E Network. We are excited to be here. I am Sunshine Mayfield, and I am here with my co-host, Benjamin Pruitt, better known as Ben Neb Fabulous, however he wants to be called. I prefer Ben. Ben is perfect. Welcome. We are here at the White Oak Studios in Durham, North Carolina, and we are excited to dive into Avatar The Last Airbender, one of our favorite, favorite shows. I remember when I first saw this show, I thought that I had found greatness and i did i thought it and then i saw the rest of the show and i was like i found greatness every episode is a beautiful moment for tv and when you think about it, just like for kids in general it has to be arguably the greatest child's television show of all time there are many critics who agree absolutely well, and so what we will do this will be our very first season we will go through the the book of water um episode by episode and we'll look at it through a different lens every single time and so um, it might be um, caring or honesty but we will pick a different lens to kind of dive into each episode and really pick apart what happens and try to bring out some some life lessons that even as adults we can take away from the show and let's be real whether you're looking at, at this show through a lens or not the life lessons are very plentiful what this does is allows us to look at the show in an entirely new light and see things that we didn't really see before because we're looking at it through a different lens. Just highlighting the invisible and, and making it a little bit more clear and saying, wow, this is something that I didn't even notice the first time around, but now that we're looking at it this way, it's much more clear or allows us to even think about characters in a different light. Like, why are they behaving this way? But we're, because we're looking at it through a specific lens, it allows us to kind of create that conversation. Yeah. That being said, we are assuming that if you are listening to episode one, that you have seen episode one, The Boy in the Iceberg. And there are also probably chances that we will allude to character behaviors or things that happen in future episodes. And so a really great way to tackle this might be go and watch at least the first season of Avatar, um, if not the entire series, and then come back. But if you don't, we're going to do our best to behave ourselves, but we can't promise that we won't talk about things that happen in the future, but we will really try to stay inside the time frames of the show um, as it appears in each episode. But before we even get started, we've got to recap episode one for you. And so we're going to play a little bit of a game um, where we recap each episode, but as the season goes on, our recaps have to get shorter and shorter. So book one, season one of Avatar The Last Airbender is 20 episodes. So we are going to say that you have 20 words, Ben, to recap episode one. Are you ready? I am ready. Here it goes. Katara. Sokka. Zuko. 
Aang. The Fire Nation is evil. Aang wakes up after 100 year nap and meets Water Village. 20 words and that's the first episode. That's it. That's it. And the show's over. We're good. We don't need to talk anymore. Um, So next week... The episode will have to be recapped in 19 words because we'll and we will dwindle down all the way until we get to one. But let's talk about the very first episode and let's go through. But, but what is our theme? What is our lens this time around for episode one? Yeah. So as you might have gleaned from our introductory quote, uh, our first lens that we're going to be watching this show through is trust. And one of the reasons we picked that is that trust is really just the foundation of relationship building. And I think that that is something that uh, we are definitely doing in episode one. One, we are building a relationship with the show, but also all of the characters, since we're meeting them, are building relationships with themselves. And so trust is a key element in that, and we're going to see how that plays out. So the very first thing that happens is you have your, your intro that comes up, and they're giving you the backstory of where the, how they've gotten to where they are at. So yeah, Katara is giving that backstory. Katara is giving that backstory, and she's talking about, you know, this is what the world used to be like, but then the Fire Nation comes, and they start this, this war that lasts for 100 years. Um, but we are waiting for the Avatar, who disappeared, to return and save the world. That's right. And so the very first thing I pull from a trust standpoint is Katara is trusting in this mythology, in this lore... Um, and she is trusting that this savior is real and will come and, and, and do what the savior is supposed to do, which is restore balance to the entire universe. Um, so from the very get-go, even in the intro, we see that this, a, a huge amount of trust coming from Katara and believing what she's believing. Well, it's trust in... And what is that trust in? Is that trust in history? Is that trust in myth? Because I don't, I, I don't think it's myth. I think in this world, this is like historical... And it was it was a hundred years ago where many of her peers and the people who are older than her and people who are much potentially more wiser due to their age have lost that trust because the Avatar has been gone for so long. And she, I wonder, like what what has caused that? Is it like her? Is it her hope that allows her to trust more in history? Like what is it? And I think that's a good point. What are the experiences that someone goes through and how does that play into the role of how they trust? And we, we get that kind of from the get-go. So we get the intro and then we immediately see Katara and Sokka in a canoe fishing. Katara's bending water. Sokka's trying to fish with a spear. Katara catches a fish and then, you know... Sokka pops the bubble on accident with the spear, and then they essentially get pushed all the way to an iceberg. Well, before that even, like I think it's worth pausing there, is thinking about how Katara is trying to catch a fish through bending water. Sokka is trying to catch a fish through using his spear. Sheer force. Sheer force, right? And so Katara has caught this fish. But due to that lack of communication between Katara and Sokka, Sokka saying, no, I am so focused because this is my priority, right? I have to catch this fish. He doesn't trust Katara. He doesn't trust that, like, oh, I caught one. No, he is so focused. It's, is it that he didn't hear her, or is it that he doesn't trust in bending? 
I think there. Well, he, we clearly know he doesn't trust in bending. He calls it magic. He he thinks of it as a trick. He doesn't see it as being useful. And I, you don't know if that's because Katara, if I'm understanding correctly, is the only bender in her current tribe. And so when he's not surrounded by bending, he's not growing up with bending. And so you know why would he trust in this thing that she can't really utilize to its fullest potential? So it really does play like a card trick or a party you know trick. And so. Um, he's so focused on what he's doing that he's oblivious to the rest of, of what's going on. And so I don't know if I call that a lack of trust or if it's just it might it's a lack of trust in bending. I don't know if it's a lack of trust in Katara, but it's a lack it's definitely a lack of trust in, in whatever this thing is that he's hearing about or knows about but doesn't fully believe in. Well, at what point does a lack of trust in bending lead to a lack of trust in his sister? Right? Because he was unwilling and unable to hear that Katara was doing the very thing that he was trying to do. Right? Yeah. And so I wonder how often we are caught up in the things that we are so focused on that it leads to people around us not feeling that we trust them. Or us showing that we don't trust them because we are so focused on doing what they're supposed to be doing or what they are helping with but we don't believe in what the way that they're going about it so we disregard it and cause um tension there so they go they get to this iceberg Sokka makes a joke about women you know not needing to be out or uh, essentially like driving the canoe like it was her fault that they crashed she gets angry and because of her bending and power with the water she splits an iceberg in two and then we see a magical being rise from the iceberg and we know that it is Aang the Avatar. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things that bubbles up during her little rant and uh, some of it, it like she, you can feel the resentment she has been building over time for Sokka. Like you've been off playing soldier while I've been the one who's been cleaning, I've been doing all of these things. Do you know how dirty your socks are? Like there was so much in that rant where that uh, all of that pent up emotion led to her bending coming forth and breaking that ice. Yep. It was her bending powers that allowed that to happen. And I wonder, I think we'll be able to really analyze this as the show goes on, but thinking about how emotions play into our bending. and The what power that, that they have because yeah. of the emotional buildup that takes place. Yeah. Um, and so, is this where we go to Zuko? It cuts right here. It cuts the, right here in to the, Zuko. And we, go yeah. to, and we go to Prince Zuko um, with his uncle. And they are on a, a metal boat looking for the Avatar. And you get a light beam from when Aang breaks the iceberg. And a light beam shoots up into the air. It's like his Avatar light. His Avatar light, you know. And... Zuko immediately jumps in and says, that's the Avatar, we have to go there. This is where we gotta go. To which his uncle immediately kind of responds with, mm, we've seen this before, don't get your hopes up. Like, let's, let's Zuko's like, you know what this means! And he and he's just kind of like, I don't oh. get to finish my game? Yes, right. <laughs> uh, and arguably, Uncle is one of my favorite characters throughout the entire show. Do you and notice something that was I, I found really interesting? Do you do you notice what he was doing? Like, what game he was playing? Uh, Mahjong? Was he playing Mahjong? It was a similar tile game, but mm -hmm. the tile he was holding at the time was an air tile. It has the same symbol as the the air nomads utilize. 
think that's really interesting that like just coincidentally Iroh is holding a air tile as the airbender is arriving correct um but so th- i want to dive more into uh prince zuko's kind of response here clearly uncle alludes to this has happened before we've seen this don't get your hopes up but zuko trusts so much that this is the avatar even though he's experienced over and over again that it, that it isn't every time something like this happens we get the feeling that and it's, we get the feeling it happens a lot, which I don't know how often light beams shoot up from the from the ground. It um, sounds like it happened a few times, but, though. And and Prince Zuko trusts with all of his might that this is what he needs to do and where he needs to go. What kind of why? Why would someone do that? Why is that hope still there, built up in him so much, um, that he's willing to trust that this is the answer to, to his problems? as he moves forward even though he's been told several times that it isn't well i think it's interesting because he so needs it to be the avatar to restore his honor with his father like i feel like finding the avatar is the key to zuko feeling like he's finally worth being loved right and so we know that he's kind of been sent out or he's run off from his family um, he is searching for honor. He knows that if he brings the Avatar to his dad, who is um, the lord of the Fire Nation, that hopefully this can restore his familial relations with him and bring honor back to him. Um, and because that hope is so strong, that connection and belongingness is so strong, even though you know he's he's holding on to that so tightly well i mean like there's a lot of data out there that talks about how we are neurobiologically wired to be loved and to want love and crave love and to want love want belonging and crave belonging and zuko right now doesn't feel like he has that from the most important person in his life which is his father right uh, i think that he will come to learn that Iroh is giving him that and really caring for him and being there for him but I don't think Zuko is able to see that yet and so his need his internal bias of I confirmation bias this has to be the avatar because if it's not I'm going to experience too much pain and that's like emotional pain right and so as a safety net he is just hoping with all hope and trusting that it is because he doesn't want to deal with the consequence of if it's not I think so. Yeah, I I really think that he is consistently banking on this happening because the op if he doesn't find it, that feels way worse. And something that I already want to point out, which I didn't even think about when we were watching the show, kind of the first time around, um, was that we've already been set up with a bias that the Fire Nation is bad from the get go, based off of Katara's story. Correct. Um, and so we, for whatever, and my twenty word intro, and your twenty word, <laughs> and we already weirdly enough trust Katara like we don't know who Katara is um, even from the intro she's a brand new character we've never met her before in our life but we trust her and so we already have a distrust for the Fire Nation and people who are part of it based off an intro and we're five minutes in and you already know this is the villain well and let's be real here the creators of the show have painted this picture for us intentionally right and so we have to trust that the creators are giving us this for some reason like the, the music has changed like that was intentional there was music change when we get to the fire nation it's dark and ominous music whereas with the with katara and Sokka and ang 
we don't get that. It's a very much a light and playful music, right? The, the very feeling is different. So at what point do we have to have faith and trust in the creators of the show? Like they are giving us this for a reason, right? Yep, and so we know that Zuko from the get-go is, is likely our villain here. Um, he's chasing after the Avatar. We know that the Avatar is the, the title of the show. He's the main character. Um, rarely is the main character the villain. And so we know that this person's looking for the Avatar and going to capture him. And so we already have a distrust for Zuko as he moves forward. Yep. We cut back to Aang. We cut back to Katara and Sokka on the iceberg. There's a passed out child on an iceberg that Sokka starts poking with a spear. And Aang wakes up. And he has a conversation with Katara where he's like, come in closer. Oh, come in closer. Hey, do you want to ride penguins with me? And immediately plays it like he's got a little joke in his head. He's willing to spit this out. This is a brand new person. Um, and so from the very get-go, Aang is meeting two new people and trusts them completely. Yeah. It's, it, it's, for me, I always, every time, with every episode, I watch this, and I'm like, man, Aang is such a trusting person. He just goes in with open arms to every relationship and expects people to be kind. And I think that that's really interesting because, like, it's it's... He just woke up after a hundred year nap and he has no idea how much time has passed, right? He has no idea. And like, as soon as he, like, like skipping just ahead a second, like he goes and um, wakes up and after he's like, oh my God, where's Appa? And he goes and jumps on this like 12 ton bison that for all we know is like, it's a giant animal, mm -hmm. right? Think about what kind of trust it requires. To jump on an animal like that's face. To jump on something that could destroy you with one bite. To jump on their face and pull on their lips and to, like... like Push up on their nose with your back turned to yeah. them to try to, like, wake them up. Like, that's that's some trust right there. And then you have Sokka's the opposite end. Yo, yeah. Because he, no, he just saw this this boy come up out of the water with just bright blue eyes and like a blue tattoo on his head just shining and a light beam coming out and he's not going to trust this person for for anything how much is it life experience that really builds into that so you've got Sokka who is feels like he's the protector of his tribe and he's going to be the warrior and we don't have his backstory yet or Katara's backstory really a lot just knowing that they're a part of a water tribe that's been ravaged by fire nation and they're kind of on the outskirts of life but he's not going to trust Aang for anything. And then you've got Katara, who's kind of in the middle of this. I mean, I'm, I don't really trust, but it, now I'm going to start using logic. And he's a 12, he looks like a 12-year-old boy. And so how, how much harm could he really be? And so there's a weird, like, you've got Aang on one side of the spectrum, Sokka on the other, and Katara somewhere in the middle. But what allows them to trust in the way that they do? What, what really creates that level for them? And why are they able to live into that? So I think there's multiple layers to this. So if we look at it through Sokka's lens for a second, I feel like Sokka is, as we learn in a few minutes, Sokka is the oldest male in his tribe. And it was told to him by his father and by the elders of the tribe that he's the one in charge of protecting the village now. And I think that has manifested in 
Sokka having a huge burden on his shoulders that he doesn't know quite how to deal with because he's, let's be real, he's still like 16 years old, maybe 17. Uh, and he's trying to process this and the way he processes it is he's taking on all of us and so he has to defend everyone and keep everyone safe. And what that leads to is in order to keep people safe, I need to be invulnerable. I need to be uh, indestructible. No weakness can be shown. No weakness. Um, and I've got to make sure that I'm staying far enough away from what could be a threat. Exactly. Um, and so you see him poking him with the spear and, and creating a barrier between the two of them at all times so that he can't he himself won't be hurt because if he's hurt, that leaves his tribe open to pain and war and, and, for, a, well, and a frankly he has, and, he has been painted like let's be real like he associates pain with lo loss of look look how small his tribe is like everyone's death, left they went right? off to war they they're gone they're gone and he's got to protect these people. he has no idea if his dad is alive right and so like right now he feels like it all the weight is on his shoulders and that speaks to, I think, just you think of the past experience and when you're talking about trust, people's past experiences are absolutely going to reflect in the way that they show up and trust people, um, especially in the beginning. Aang, as we learn later, I mean, he has no notion of the Fire Nation's attacks on others. For all he knows, when he was a boy, everything was hunky-dory and people didn't mistreat each other and everyone was kind and so it is super easy for him to walk up to a stranger and be like, hey stranger, like let's be friends. Let's go sledding on penguins together. Sokka's coming from a place of, I've seen destruction, I've lost my family. Uh, when unknown people or strangers come onto shore, they are going to do harm and damage. And so I'm not trusting anyone. Yeah. But then you have Katara, who has also experienced those things somewhat, but also, has hope and is is connected with bending and so she's probably one of the more progressive people in her tribe um but how does that speak to why is she able to trust Aang? you know i think it's very similar to zuko i'm gonna draw a parallel here like katara is the only bender in her village she is now for the first time sees that Aang is a bender and she's I wonder if her confirmation bias of like, oh, he has to be good. He's a bender. Because he's a bender. He has to be able to give me what I need. Because I so desperately want this to be true. That I wonder if that's tainting her defensiveness of it a little bit. And so she's not defensive anymore because she wants so much for to not need to be. Right. There's all that hope yeah. of a better future or for connectedness. And so because of that, you're more willing to trust. But I, I kind of want to talk about how does, I feel like there's always, especially for us as people, a place of, I'm not going to trust until you show me that you can be trusted. Well, I think Aang proves us wrong there. Like it's one of those things where I, there, I think there's this uh, perception that there is like there's an off on switch on whether I trust somebody or not. It's like, okay, I do, I trust you now, or no, I don't trust you at all. Right. And so I think that Aang is just like always on. Right. And I think that Sokka is off until what? Right. There's no on switch for Sokka. It's a building thing. It has to be, uh, there has to be somebody who is willing to go there first. It's not going to be Sokka. 
Right. Right? And so Aang is showing us that in order to get people to trust you, you have to first trust them. And that's like this weird paradox, right? Because it, at some point, somebody's going to get hurt if that's the case. Mm -hmm. And I think that what Sokka has come from a place where you always get hurt when you trust people, and Aang is coming from a place where you, you don't get hurt when you trust people. And when you put those two together, theoretically, you see Sokka will start to warm up to Aang over time. It takes a lot of time, and Sokka's distrust and paranoia definitely comes through in his sarcasm. It comes through in his just general distaste for anything that is different. <laughs> and so I, I find it interesting to think about how trust is something that has to build over time. There's no off-on switch. Yeah. And so we move from we move from this point of they're building relationships, they're they're trusting each other or they're not trusting each other, but um, they're hesitant to build this relationship and then they get on the bison and they start heading back to the village. And Sokka doesn't trust that the bison can fly. Yep. Aang's like, no, he's just tired. And again, Aang trusting in Appa. Right? Yeah, he's showing trust. He's saying, I know, I know my bison. My bison can do these things. We're going to be good. And they're traveling. But then we get a question of... Katara asks uh, Aang about the Avatar. Um, and what he knows. And, and Aang knows he's the Avatar. And though he's been trusting this entire time, doesn't trust in giving the right answer. Which we don't know if that's a mistrust in Katara, or if that's a mistrust in... Is he going to... The fact that he's gone away and was hiding, like he doesn't want people to know he's the Avatar, but but he lies. And so is that distrust? Is that... What is that? So I, I my perception there is that Aang is not happy with the fact that he is the Avatar. And he is living in this place where being the Avatar is upsetting for him. And it's not something he's ready to deal with. And so the fact that he's not ready to deal with it leads him to not wanting to have to deal with other people dealing with it also. Right. And so it's not necessarily mistrust in Katara. It is more a, I might be trying to create a new life for myself, or I might be trying to run for my responsibilities of being the Avatar. Um, and so I'm just not sharing that with anyone. Yeah, well, I think that, like, ultimately it's the fear of disconnection, right? Because he's afraid that she will react in a way of, what if she is mad at Aang for being the Avatar because he is... Or what if, she's, what if he's worried that she's going to treat him differently if... Because so far, he's like, he really likes Katara. And I wonder if he's worried that or he doesn't trust that she will treat him the same if she learns that information. And so he doesn't tell her the truth. They go for it. And then we get a cut back to um, Zuko on the boat practicing his forms with his uncle. And at that point we get a very standard trope in, in film and television and storytelling of the teacher, the student... The student who is tired of practicing the same thing over and over again. The teacher who knows that the student isn't ready. And so we see a lack of trust between Uncle Iro and Prince Zuko. Yes. I, I think I want to... I definitely want to talk about that. And I think that like his impatience... It, is, that manifest, is that manifesting in a... Is it a lack of trust 
in Iroh? Is it the fact that he doesn't trust that he is wiser and like this guy was has has a history under his belt of he was a commander he was very important he's been around for a long time he's one of the best firebenders out there which but subtly right he's under the radar this is not something that he does on a regular basis you don't see him react with fire very often he's one of the dragons of the west um and so he's he's kind of known as this all-powerful dude but he's not one who's showing it on a regular basis Zuko is so confident in himself and trust in his own abilities that he's ready for the next step in these more advanced stages of firebending. Uncle saying, be patient. And then Zuko responds with, I don't have time to be patient. We've got to do this and we've got to do it now. Uncle kind of gives in and says, all right, let's talk about these things. Well, you know what? Uncle, we see Uncle giving in, but we also see Uncle, like, kind of not. Like, he gives in and says, okay, but first, let me eat my roast duck. Right. <laughs> And so he puts it he puts it off in a way that says, "Nope, you're not ready because I'm going to eat this duck real quick." And it's just like it's like this subtle uh, a lot of what Iroh does is very subtle. It's something that's like if you don't know his character, which we don't, don't. <laughs> right now, right? And so right now Iroh seems kind of like a a funny uh, humorous character that's just kind of inserted for comedic relief. When I, I really question because I know the history of his character and what he will do in this in the rest of the series, I really wonder if all of these little things that are funny are actually intentional. And I wonder if him saying, yeah, sure, I'll teach you after I eat this roast duck, is that a, I'm going to teach you patience one way or another? You are going to learn this at some point, whether it's by you choosing to be patient or because I'm going to make you live into what I'm doing. And you're going to be patient because you're going to wait on me, at the very least. Yeah. And before we move on, I think we need to hark back just a second. So one of the things that we kind of skimmed over was there's two things that I really want to go back to. One, if we go back to when Sokka was distrusting Aang, Mm -hmm. and he said, you you probably signaled the Fire Nation, right? Yeah. And then... Katara's like, no, he's like, oh, this 12-year-old boy who airbends doesn't, like, he signaled the Fire Nation. And so, again, there's this, like, sarcasm. And there's this, like, I, I find that it's always the person who is distrusting that is using sarcasm, mm-hmm. right? So, one, how does sarcasm manifest? Is that something that always manifests around not trusting someone, just as a food for thought? And then the next question is, how often are we led to the right conclusions with the wrong intentions because of our mistrust. Specifically in this instance, you've got Sokka saying, Aang probably signaled the fire at Nation. And he did. And he did. Not purposefully. Not like, but, he, but this yeah. wasn't something that he did. Sokka's coming from a place of, he did it because he's, he's luring the fire nation to us. Um, so he had the wrong means to the end. But the end was right. Aang signaled the fire nation. It just wasn't for the right motive that Sokka thought it was. And so we are talking about how often do we really think about, like, we are confirmed by what the outcome is in thinking of what the motive of some person is, even though that may or may not be true. And how do we get around that? Well, and because we're not talking about trust for the next episode, I think it's important to realize that this comes back, right? Sokka is like, you see? You did signal the Fire Nation. You did signal the Fire Nation, right? And it comes back with, it's just, I, I find it really interesting that how often are we led to the wrong conclusion, or the right conclusions for the wrong reasons? 
And I find like that's that's terrifying for me because that is confirming my wrongness if I'm doing that, right? He is now going to believe that Aang is a worse person who is doesn't have the the safety in mind for the, the water tribe. Yeah. And he's confirmed in that even though that is far from the truth. And the reality here is there's no right answer. There's no way to prove like, oh, these are the steps you take so you don't do that. Mm-hmm. But it is being in mind is the story I'm telling myself actually what's happening here and how do we give people the benefit of the doubt yeah how do you trust to give people the benefit of the doubt when those types of things happen and so there's we've got a we this could take us hours to unpack because the reality is there's not a right answer to this yep it almost just comes down to sometimes you just have to trust and hope that you're not disappointed but that's what being open-hearted is that's what being somebody's got to take the first step. you've got to take a risk life you can't go through life without taking risk and you can't connect with people without taking risk because there's always going to be a risk yeah that's what vulnerability is absolutely and then one thing we also glanced over is there was this really small spot right before ang lies about being the avatar with iroh and zuko again where iroh's like i need to go to bed and zuko's like I'm not sleeping. I have to stare off into the distance and look for the Avatar. And and Iroh's like, listen here, Zuko, your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather have all failed while trying to find the Avatar. You won't find him. And again, I find it interesting here because Iroh, who is this wise guy who... <laughs> get it yeah. uh, but he like he knows his stuff and he also truly wants what's best for Zuko so I, I question why he's saying you won't find him well this is so out of character for for Iroh in general because right? he is arguably one of the most supportive characters throughout the entire series and this is where you get a very unsupportive very like distinct not vague of you won't find him. Well, let's 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 talk about that for a second because I wonder if he perceives this to be supportive, right? I truly believe that Uncle is saying this for Zuko's benefit. Of saying you need to focus on something else to be the better person that you are than just this entity of well, and the he, avatar he that's sees, out in the He sees the Zuko that he can become. Because right now Zuko is so laser focused on restoring his honor and restoring these things when Zuko, if he was just living his life and living a wholehearted life and trusted people, would be happier, would be potentially in a better place if he was willing to accept the love that is in front of him. It also seems like Zuko is trusting the story of the Avatar is bad. Like this is this is a constant struggle that we get is that the Fire Nation has crafted the story about what their life needs to be like and who their threats are and, and Zuko is eighteen years old, seventeen years old, and he's trusting completely in this because he's willing to take a a child, um, which he doesn't know as a child. He already assumes that it's a hundred and twelve year old man, um, back to the Fire Nation to be punished or to be captured. I mean, he's doing this off the trust that this is what his family, this is what's best for his family and for his people. And Well, I find it, like, I'm also called to think about how, think about the relationship of age between Zuko and Uncle also. Like, Uncle's an old, older guy, 
and Zuko's again 16 right and so I find it so interesting and I think this plays into a lot of the adult conversation around teens these days around teens have no respect for age and no respect for this and how like is that is that a question of humility does is is it because I do this too I often question my superiors of like well, they've just been here for so long. They just need to. It's time for them. Time for a new era. And there have been times when I'm, I have learned a lot from my superiors, and I have learned from the people who have the capacity to teach me. But then, like, where is that line between where I lose trust in my superiors, so that now I'm no longer able to hear the wisdom that they can provide? Right, and that goes back to the conversation with the the trope of student teacher. And it's because like this relationship between Uncle and Zuko is really interesting through a lens of trust because there's so much to dive into around it. Absolutely, and I think for me, with, with my superiors and people that I've worked with and mentors in the past, that tr- trust is there almost implicitly from the get-go. These are people who've gone through this longer. They've been ahead of me for longer. They are, they know more than I do. And I know that from the beginning. And then you continue to work with them and years go by and you're still working with them. But at a certain point, um, sometimes for me, the ones that I've stopped trusting are the ones that I see shift away from my cornerstone values. The ones where I see that their um, reasoning might not connect well with where my cornerstone, my purpose or my values line up. And that's where I'm able to kind of step back and think, is this really what's best for me? And that really, that illuminates this situation for me because I wonder if Uncle and Zuko's values are aligned right now, right? I think that Zuko is so, his value right now is on the restoration of his honor. That is like his sole focus. And that requires, based off the narrative that he has been told, that requires that he find and bring the Avatar to the Fire Lord. And Iroh is really has a whole nother agenda. He is truly just invested in helping Zuko be a whole-hearted person and living his life to the best of his ability. And those two things aren't aligning right now. And so I, I can see where that mistrust is coming from. That's really cool. And so we then move on, because I want to wrap up at least the, the story part of the episode. Um... Aang goes back to the Water Tribe's village. He gets introduced to the Water Tribe. They don't trust him off the get-go. They, again, they haven't seen an airbender in so long. Who is this person? Why is he here? Um, they've seen a lot of pain. We've already kind of grappled with why people might not trust Aang out of the Water Tribe. Aang does a trick with bending and immediately wins over all the kids. Um... And we're talking again with kids who maybe haven't seen that same pain or haven't processed it the same way. And so they're way more likely to trust Aang and what's going on. Aang and Katara go to an old Fire Nation ship. Cause, what am I missing? Cause I think there's two things that I want to talk about before we get to the Fire Navy ship. Uh, the first is I, I find it really interesting that Sokka is training toddlers. For, to, for, for war. For, for war, right? And they're they're all clearly like itty bitty right and so i gotta pee i gotta pee and so like i think that his we talked about Sokka, the reason for Sokka's attitude and Sokka's being earlier and i think that really is 
again brought to light here, right? There's a lot of scarcity in Sokka. He doesn't believe there is enough people, there's not enough time, there's not enough resources. And so he, it leads him to rash decisions. And so does our lack of trust lead us to arming children, right? And, and so in today's day and age, that is not something that has, right? Like that's been talked about. That is conversation that has been talked about, right? And so the people who are so lacking in trust, does that lead to us having to arm people who shouldn't have to bear that burden, right? And whether that's arming teachers, whether that's arming people with literal guns, but like, are, how how are we thinking about whether our trust in or lack of trust in manifests in how we raise our children yeah i think you hit it it's the scare the scarcity for Sokka is not only i think in his resources in his village uh, he knows that if a fire nation ship shows up that they're out of luck that they're not going to be able to do what they need to get done so he's trying to prep kids so that they're ready so that no matter what happens but is that also because of a scarcity of believing in himself or trust in himself of is this something that I'm actually able to do I've been given this people have entrusted in me that I can protect this city that I can protect this village and I can't and so is there a little bit of lack of trust in himself and so he is trying to figure out any way possible to to fill that scarcity and, and feel that he you know people did the right thing in trusting in me and so that really shifts his behavior as well I, I just find it so interesting because he i believe that Sokka is doing his best with the circumstances that he is absolutely given, right and so he I, I find it so interesting that no one else is stepping in to say that this is a problem like this is something like let's be real when the fire nation shows up there's nothing that they will be able to do. One, one person, bender, one bender, and one warrior. One warrior that is sixteen and not that good at being and a warrior. not that great at it, quite frankly, at least not yet, is not going to be able to defend from a few firebenders. Not much less an entire ship or multiple ships. Yes, right. And so, at what point is this futility? At what point do we say this is not? helpful and this is something that is not going to promote our all our wholeheartedness and our well-being if we continue to live this way well, so how do you respond to the question with that then that well you gotta you gotta do something you can't just sit there and say if the fire nation ship is coming we're we're done for so we're just not going to do anything and so i wonder if that's part of it is the elders of the tribe are partly saying like we're they've got to do something and if training toddlers is it that's it you know, I, I disagree with that. I think that if doing something, that something is, I'm going to live my best life with the circumstances that I've been given. And I'm going to implement change. And we see Katara and Sokka going off to implement change as they go off on, spoiler alert, with the Avatar, right? And so as they go off and take that, they are doing something. Right. In a productive way. So even though it's not going to create an immediate change in that second, it doesn't create a, a change that day. They are hoping to do something that is going to create change a year from now, yeah. six months from now, ten years from now, whatever that looks like. But 
that is going to be more helpful than Sokka staying at home and training three-year-olds. Well, and I believe so. Yeah, and so that's up for philosophy, but I, I think I agree that... I just think about the mental state of that three-year-old who is going mm-hmm. to grow up living in that fear like Sokka is. And that distrust and then the lack of connection and everything else that comes from that and a fear of everything in life. <sighs> so they leave. Our Katara and Aang go to go see the Fire Nation ship. Penguin sledding. They go penguin sledding that leads to this ship. They know they're not supposed to go on it. They know that they've been told that they probably shouldn't. They do anyways. Well, I think it's really interesting that Aang goes into that saying, if you want to be a bender, you have to let go of fear. And I think that it's really important for us to pause right there and to let's think about how Aang and Katara, what are the differences there? Let's, let's, Aang is an accomplished bender. He has mastered air. Yep, he is, a, he is an air master. Right? Katara is play bending because she doesn't know any, anything else. She is able to do a few things and that's just because she's gleaned that from just doing random stuff over her life and so I wonder at what point do we need to think about how privilege plays into our lens of trust. Aang Aang is able to trust because he also knows that if, if someone proves him wrong he's got the ability to defend himself in that. Exactly and and Katara doesn't Right, and so at what point does his privilege allow him to be more trusting? Right, and so does that play into the fact that Sokka is not very trusting because he he can't, can't defend himself, defend himself right? right? And so I wonder if that confidence and security of being able to defend myself in such a way, and I wonder is is that like self defense classes? Is that what are those things that allow us to be more trusting? if we have the privilege of being able to defend ourselves. It's almost the confidence breeds confidence. I'm confident that I can handle this situation because of the skills that I have. So it allows me to be more open or to yeah. go into deeper things. If you're not confident in that, you're way less likely to be able to participate in those types of activities. Yeah. And so he convinces her. Yep. They go onto the ship. And this is where we get this moment of Aang coming to a realization um, that life isn't what it was like. He I think pushes more like a hundred years. Well, they pu- well, he pushes back too because the first thing he says is, "I, you know, Katar starts telling the story of like the Fire Nation did all these things, and Aang immediately goes, "That's ridiculous! I've got friends all over the place. I've got friends in the Fire Nation. Do I look like a hundred and twelve year old man to you?" And so he pushes back based off of his beliefs and his experience. Very quickly, she says, no, man, I think you've been gone for 100 years, to which he's just like, oh. Oh, wow, I have been gone for 100 years. Which this might be, like, my only, like, quirk with this episode. But we're on a time constraint, and it's a 22-minute episode. But he very quickly <laughs> goes from being like, oh, this is a, this is, this is not right. This doesn't seem right. And she's like, nope, you've been gone for 100 years. And he's like, wow, you're right. I have been gone for 100 years. If we think about, like, she said, well, think about it logically. This happened, and it's been this amount of time. It has to have been 100 years. And he's like, wow. And, like, his immediate acceptance, I think we have to treat that as intentional. Right? I don't, I don't like, if we treat that as a quirk, I think we lose some of the value of what it could mean in terms of, like, is that really just representative of how trusting Aang is? Right? He pushes back, 
she provides a factual thing and then he's like okay well i trust her enough to be like this is real right and he's like i i get it this is like what does that really say about ang that he is so trusting right yeah and then what does that say about us what does that what does that say about when we when don't our, trust him, when right? our own personal beliefs get pushed back and someone shares that this it might not be that way do we one give the person who's sharing us that story or their experience the benefit of the doubt because we trust them two because they're able to provide facts do we trust them or do we not trust them even with facts and experience because we are so ingrained in our current beliefs and what it's like yeah absolutely and and how do we move forward from that because i either way i think there are some instances where someone can present their experience to you but that might be an outlier and that's not what the you know that's not what the rest of things are like and so i think there's a weird balance or weird dance that has to go on in between those moments of how do you really trust and he gets presented he trusts katara she puts it she brings logic to the table and so he says all right let's let's act under this from here on out because this seems like this is probably the way that it well, is and i gotta say like if that were me i'd be like you gotta show me some like history books you i need so i need you, some I more need, stuff. Like, concrete evidence here because i am so like i would be so unwilling to to hear that ang seems like yeah that sucks but i'm okay let's move on let's move on let's go and i think that that's just really a testament to ang's capacity to let go of things that he's attached to and i wonder if that's because he was raised as a monk and like i just i wonder what in his history has allowed him to let go of things that he might be attached to so easily these are all incredible questions so we're at the end of this episode um and at the very end we see a booby trap and a flare and we get an oh no moment did ang just signal the fire nation yet again yet again and then the episode ends. Yep. And so, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up? We've, we've covered a lot in terms of trust. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of cover that we missed throughout the entirety of the episode that we wanted to make sure that we, we hit on before we wrap on our trust episodes and before we move into our trust exercise that we'll end the episode with? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that might play right there is, at the very end, is should Aang have trusted Katara and should they have not gone into the ship like she was right it was booby trapped right like so at what point and would that have changed anything right like would the Fire Nation have still the, shown the up Fire because Nation they were already on their was way already on their way they saw that and they were really close to it at that point so again I wonder if if they had if he had lived and played it safe would he have been like I just wonder what, what what that would have been like, what the how the story would have changed, and how they would have treated each other differently if they hadn't gone into that ship. And that's that's really all I got. Yeah, and I think it's worth just highlighting again what what's the role that trust plays in us, and the way that we're able to connect with others, what allows us to trust more or trust less. Um, but I think the big takeaway is someone has to be vulnerable first for trust to actually take place. Yeah, the the premise of uh, if everyone lives under the premise of you have to trust, you have to show me why I can trust you before I can trust you, Nobody will ever then trust no anybody. one will ever trust anybody. Yeah. And so we can't all live under the premise that as a way of behaving of you have to show me I can trust you. At some point, someone's got to take risk. And, and Aang is a really excellent teacher for that. Like for, for me, when I think about what it looks like to just trust openly, I, I think of Aang, right? He is 
one of the paragons of just open and trust trusting personality. He's going to assume the best. He's going to act under the assumption that people aren't trying to hurt each other, that people aren't trying to hurt him, and he's going to trust and move forward. And we see a benefit in that in the way that he connects with people throughout the series because of that. Sometimes it hurts him. Like, sometimes it gets him into sticky situations. But the only reason he was really able to connect with Katara and Sokka, who end up being lifelong friends, is because of his ability to trust in the first place. Cool. And so now we're going to end up our wrap, and we are going to go to our next segment, um, which is going to be... What, how do we take this away and move this into our actual daily lives? How does... The Boy in the Iceberg and the show Avatar give us an opportunity to make changes in our own personal lives as it comes to trust um, and what we're doing. So we will, when we come back, that is what we'll do. to get out of this next section is we are hoping over the next uh, series of episodes that we do is we're going to kind of go through the avatar cycle in terms of how we want to approach our kind of final segment. And so we're going to go through uh, each episode with a different lens of the avatar cycle, meaning water, earth, fire, and air. And because it's book one is water, we're going to start with water. And so for these first four episodes, as we uh, kind of tap into the elements and we're going to kind of describe these elements and help us all be on the same page when we're thinking about it. And then once we're all on the same page of what uh, each element does and how it affects our personality, we're going to then kind of go through the lens of the episode and see how they connect and see what that brings us to in terms of a lesson that we can learn. And so first I kind of want to just talk about what water is. And so we're kind of going to go back and forth around what water kind of symbolizes for the two of us. And so when I think of water, I think of the ocean. It's deep and there's a lot of waves and it's rocky, but sometimes I also think about how it's really calm and it has both sides of that. What about you? For me, I've always seen water as uh, something that cleanses and flows. And so as it moves, it washes what it goes over, um, but also it's, it's a solvent. And so anything that kind of gets put into water, um, it absorbs those those toxins and those things that are being put into it that maybe aren't supposed to be there. Um, and so as it's so free-flowing and, and how it meshes with everything, sometimes that can be good, sometimes that can be bad, but it's still there and it's going to do it regardless. What I also love about water is that it's also, it can fit in, it's very fluid in that it can be a solid, it can be ice, it can be very fluid and flexible. It can be a gas and steam. It can be hot. It can be cold. It has lots of forms that it can take. It's flexible, right? And so I think that that kind of gives us a, a, an idea of what water is. And now let's think about if we were to adapt that to personality traits. Um, what are some of the strengths that come to mind when you think of water? I think it's someone who's, someone who's sensitive and empathetic and has the ability to, to free flow and meet people where they are. Um, this is a personality trait of someone who um, can really understand what drives a person and gives them life. Water is such a life-giving property and really lets things grow. I kind of think of um, a rain. You want to when you you can nurture other people like a water, like plants. And so 
you can either give it just enough rain so it can grow and develop or you can also kind of drown it you can kind of drown things that are meant to be growing because of how much water you're giving it to so i kind of think of it as yeah, that so if it's an overused stream, oh, yeah right? exactly um so yeah the only thing that i would add to that is just that it's it's flexible again and i think that that's really awesome because flexible and not just not physically but um, it's easy go with the flow mentality of like yeah i'll do whatever fits the group and it's kind of this this glue almost for a group of people um okay so we talked about some of the strengths of water what about some of the challenges that come with it you kind of started talking about this yeah we, we talked a little bit about the toxins i think that a lot of times water people people who associate water have strong water personalities they are they feel so much of what's going on around them and so if there's a lot of negativity that's around them in a group that they're going to internalize that and that negativity is going to seep into to the water that they kind of provide yeah water gets it's tainted by the things that enter it right and so it can it takes on whatever's around it the good and the bad yep it can help clean but it can also become very dirty based off of what the environment well, is and in. it's also like when it's left still it becomes stagnant water and that's never like that that feels weird to me i don't want to be stagnant right and so there's a lot of things that come around that it's you, you just lose your identity when sometimes you are taking on the identities of others. Are take, exactly. Yeah. And so now that we've kind of fleshed out what water looks like and how it feels in us, uh, I kind of want to look at it through this lens of trust. And so what, what comes up for me is you were talking about how we take on what's around us as water because all the things that are around us affects that the, the pH level of water, right? And so for me, I really, what, what comes up for me in terms of trust is I don't want to lose trust similar to Sokka in that I don't want to continually take on the problems that are around me. And so I need to, for me, what comes up is I need to set more boundaries. I need to put systems and processes in place that make it so that I am not tainted by the emotions and the feelings of the people around me. I am able to be empathetic and care, but I am also able to say that this is not me and not my problem, right? Does that make sense? It's Yeah, and it's weird because it, it, sometimes it's contradictory in itself, right? We want to help others. We want to be there for others, but we have to make sure that we are personally in the best place to be able to pour into someone else. And so... Yeah, well, I mean, water stagnant water or toxic water is not helpful like I have to be clean and if I'm able to cleanse and therefore if I want to trust I need to make sure that I have purified myself and the way that I know best how to do that is to set some boundaries around what I'm allowing myself to take in uh, I'm not gonna let myself be around a toxic relationship if I am aware that it's toxic right and so I, I want to just create some boundaries around making sure that I am not taking on toxic things so that I can be more trusting of others. Yeah, that's interesting because the way that I'm almost viewing it for me is I want to be more like Aang and, and being, if, if knowing that sometimes people need to see that you can be trusted, I need to be the one who makes kind of that first step and say I'm going to be vulnerable enough to, to open up the conversation, to open up this experience so that maybe you can trust me a little bit more and we can create that connectedness. And I almost... I kind of take that and how do we open up the dam a little bit or open up the floodgates a little bit so that water can stop being stagnant and, and have a place to go and how can I be that 
vehicle for that almost how do yeah. I kind of play in and what are the things that I get to do to people to show that I that I'm willing to be in this relationship or willing to be connected and I know that to meet you where you are I need to flow to where you're at um, and allow you to have a place where you can kind of flow into and how do we make sure that that is a clean and non-toxic place and how do we do that in the best way so I think for me that's I want to work on being that first person to to open up that channel um, but we even talked about like there's a little bit of privilege in that too to kind yeah. of be able to sit there and say I get to be the person who trust first well you know I I totally hear you on that because it's, at what point do I need to say that I have the emotional maturity to know that in this situation if I get hurt I know that I'm going to survive I have a support system yeah, I have exactly. tools that I've replicated and worked on and seen in other people I have the confidence because of my the confidence. confidence of what I have um, and because you know we'll be very blatant, uh, blunt and blatant um, the emotional work connecting with people has been a part of our careers for at least the last 10 years and so we do have a lot of the skills of you know we know how to handle this situation or we can trust that if, if something happens or we get hurt we do have something to fall back on or we have a support system that's there for us and I'm grateful for that privilege. Absolutely. So thank you for indulging me in our water exercise. If you're listening to this, I really want to encourage you to think about what are the ways that you can think about the water that is affecting you in your life and how are you going to use trust and use that waterness to help you make some decisions in your life that will help you live a better life uh, through a lens of trust. Absolutely. And so before we go today, before we end things, there's a couple things we want to make sure that everyone is aware of. One, you can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at The Arc of E. Those are great places. To, we're also on Facebook, so you can find us there. Two, if, this, if, you, if there is something that spoke to you in this episode that wasn't about trust, it was about connecting or belonging or fear, and there was a lens that you really see this episode through, Write us at thearcofe at gmail.com and share that story with us. We would really love to hear it, um, and that might be something in the future that we're able to kind of share with the rest of the show with your permission. Um, but we would love to hear how does Avatar speak to you? How specifically did this episode speak to you? If you feel like you've got a better 20-word recap for this episode, you can tweet that at us at the thearcofe. Um, I think for us, we will, we will be interested to see um, who can come up with better recaps as the words continue to get shorter and shorter. Um, or if there's a really cool lens for an upcoming episode that you think that we should look at, shoot that us, uh, to us on Twitter or on uh, thearcofe at gmail.com, and we would love to get that feedback. Next week, we're going to be diving into the next episode called The Avatar Returns, and we're going to be looking at that through a lens of responsibility. And so that will be our lens next week. Responsibility as we watch The Avatar Returns. Thank you so much for listening. I am Alex Mayfield or Sunshine Mayfield. And I am Ben Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking, an Arc of E production. We look forward to having you listen next time. Thanks for joining us.